As always, thank you for, for participating. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your week to study and to think about your own spirituality, your own walk with the Lord, and as we've been talking about, resisting, resisting temptation, resisting Satan, battling against the enemies of our soul, the, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And we've been talking about that battle. Last week, we talked at length about the idea that you reap what you sow, that if you sow to the flesh, if you do what is easy, what feels good, your, your sinful, disordered desires, what, the, what they're eager for you to do when you give in to those things, when you indulge those things, it is toxic and we become corrupt. We reap corruption. We become corrupt. Not only is our destiny corruption, but our character becomes corrupt until over time, if we continue to sow to the flesh rather than to the spirit, then our hearts become hard and we become, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, for us to even want to do what is good and what is right. And so we talked at length about not sowing to the flesh, but we want to kind of change gears a little bit tonight and, and talk about some positive things, talk about sowing to the spirit. But before we do, I'm going to show you a picture of uh, my boys, uh, the, Noah is the one in the black jacket. It's kind of hard to see him. He's in the in the foreground. Malachi's got his hat backwards. Uh, that was when we were in Washington State a few months ago, and we got to go on a sailboat. and 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 the boys volunteered or got voluntold. I forget which one, but uh, they they got to raise the sail on the boat. And and I was I've been thinking a lot about that idea of of a of a sailboat. And how that relates to the spirit. Because the, the wind is what moves the boat across the water. It would have been impossible for us by our own power and strength to get across the water. But the, the power of the wind, which is invisible, this invisible wind moved us. It empowered us. It animated us from one place to the other. And so as soon as we raised those sails and put those sails in the right positions, aligned them to the wind, the wind empowered and, and moved us across the water. And the word spirit, the word spirit, it's, it's interesting that in English, it's not related to the word wind or breath. But both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word that we translate as spirit is the same as the word for wind, both in Greek and in Hebrew. So both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is a, there's a linguistic link between the idea of the spirit and wind or breath. And we see that, look at John chapter 3 and verse 5, we see Jesus kind of playing on that idea that the spirit of God uh, and, and that idea of wind are, are connected and are related. This is what Jesus says in John 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, he's talking to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so there's, there's, a, there's a similarity there, isn't there? That the Spirit is it, the Spirit of God, the personal presence this, this invisible personal presence 
This third person of the, of the Godhead is doing and is working and is empowering, but is invisible and is unseen. And just like the wind, you can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. You can see its effects. And so Jesus is saying that the, the Spirit of God is bringing about this, this new birth. And again, I, I really like that idea of the, the sails on a ship, that when you align, align the sails on a ship to the wind, then that, that wind can empower the ship. And when you align yourself with the Spirit, the Spirit is, the Spirit is there and the Spirit is doing His work. The Spirit is, is moving, the Spirit is empowering, the Spirit is present. But unless you do the work, of aligning yourself with the Spirit of God, unless you do the work of aligning yourself, orienting yourself to the Holy Spirit, then that presence will not empower you. If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want the Spirit of God to empower you, then you have to be aligned with the Spirit. Another metaphor that, we, that I think helps us to understand the Spirit is the idea of water. And Jesus says something interesting, uh, but before we do that, the, the context of when Jesus says this in John chapter 7 is very interesting. There was uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and one of the things that sort of got added to the Feast of Tabernacles was this water ceremony, and there was a procession of worshipers that would, would get a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam, and they would make the procession up to the temple and when they got to the temple they would march around the altar they would blow the trumpets they would sing psalms and then they would pour the water out and they're pouring the water out to the lord and and a lot of a lot of idea around that pouring out of the water was that it was symbolic in a couple of different interesting ways one it was reminiscent of the time in the wilderness, because that's what the Feast of, of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles remembered, right, was the time that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and lived in, in tents, lived in, in booths. And so they were remembering what it was like in the wilderness. And do you remember how they got water in the wilderness? God gave them water from a rock, right? God gave them water from a rock. And so they were remembering how God gave them water to drink. And if you lived in the desert, if you lived in the wilderness, both as they did in Jerusalem or in Israel, but especially as they moved through the wilderness, and those people in that place, that understanding of water and the importance of water and how you don't have life without water, and then how God sustained them and gave them water to drink in the wilderness, how God brought forth water from the rock, remembering that, but then also remembering or anticipating, rather, some of the things that the prophet said, like Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 47, that during the messianic age, during the age to come, that God would send forth streams of living water that would go out from Jerusalem and would go to the ends of the earth. And so this living water would go out from the temple of God and go to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus claims to be both of those symbols, doesn't he? Both the rock 
from which God pours forth water to give life and also also the one who will bring forth these living streams of water, the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem that will go out to the whole world and give life to the world. Look at what he says in John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day, probably again around the time that this water ceremony is happening, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> That's audacious, isn't it? That, that Jesus would say this. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, again, Jesus is promising that he is, he's like the rock in the wilderness from which the waters flowed out, and he is the fulfillment of the Ezekiel 47 promise that he's the one who's going to bring forth these living waters, and they are going to flow from him. In fact, it's interesting when it, you read what it says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Grammatically, it's hard to tell. Does Jesus mean out of his own, out of his heart will flow these living waters? Or does he mean that whoever believes in him, out of the believer's heart will flow streams of living water? And there's people that kind of take it both ways or either way. But, but regardless, the, the living water comes from Jesus, doesn't it? The living water, which is, John says, this Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, that he is going to pour forth, pour out the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to flow into the whole world. And then the Spirit does fill us up, and then it overflows from us to others, too, as well, doesn't it? Even though we're not the source of that living water, we are the recipients of it, and then the water or the Spirit fills us up and then flows out to the whole world. Again, when you think about those two metaphors of the Spirit, one wind and the other a stream of water, there's a lot of similarities, aren't there, between a stream of water and the wind. They both, they both flow, they both move, they're constantly in motion. And then when, when, when anything is aligned with that, with that movement, when anything is aligned with that flow, again, whether it's a wind current or a stream of water, when something is aligned with that, then that power, the power of that water or that power of that wind moves that thing along, whether it's a boat or whatever it is. It, it moves that because it's aligned with that flow of, of power. And this, again, is how the the New Testament speaks about this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit comes, I, I think we tend to think about the Holy Spirit as like a, a private possession sometimes. We think that he is just like mine, just he's living in me. And that's true, he's living in me. But I think it's better if we keep to the biblical metaphors and think about the Spirit like a stream of living water that started from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and then flowed out 
to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that stream of living water has now come to us and and the Spirit is filling us up and then is flowing out from us and affecting and and touching everything that that we touch. When when we are aligned, when we are aligned with his, His power and His strength. So we might say something like this. The Holy Spirit flows from the throne of the Messiah like a river of water or a current of wind bringing life and truth, peace, transformation, and eternity. Bringing the age to come. Bringing the age to come. This is the the Ezekiel 47 picture. This This is the Acts picture. This is what the book of Acts is all about. This is what Acts is all about. This is what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings all year. This unstoppable force this unstoppable power, and we don't mean force or power like an impersonal force or power, is the personal presence of God empowering people. Some people use the word animating people, like wind animates the trees, wind animates things, or water animates things. It brings them to life and empowers them. And so the Spirit of God was poured out on Pentecost and like a stream of water filled up the apostles and then flowed out to the whole world. And now here we are having received life and truth and peace and transformation and eternal life. We've already begun to be recipients of eternal life, to step into the age to come even right now in the present. As soon as we were baptized, and again, baptism and its connection to the Spirit, its connection to salvation, its connection to, obviously, water is is right in all of this, isn't it? It's so so rich. And again, I think just, just picturing things this way, picturing how the Spirit brings life and brings truth and empowers We're going to keep coming back to that word empowers because that's what we're talking about in this series is specifically how the spirit of God is, he is, not it, he is the only one who can empower you to begin to overcome and resist sin and temptation. The Spirit of God empowering you. It's only when you step into the living waters. It's only when you align yourself. Again, if you picture the sailboat metaphor, when you align your sails with his power and you turn your life over to his power and strength, then then you can begin to make progress. But otherwise, you're just going to keep spinning your wheels, fighting against the flesh, This is Paul's whole point in Romans 7 and Romans 8. He says, I wanted to do what was good. I didn't want to do what was bad. I didn't want to sin. I didn't want to covet. I didn't want to do wrong things. I wanted to do what was good. And I didn't want to do what was evil. But I kept doing what was evil. And I didn't do what was good. Why? Because the sin that exists in my flesh, my flesh is weak. So my flesh, my strength, my power is weakness. But his power, his strength, that is what begins to equip us and empower us and animate us to do what is good and what is right. The good that we want to do. 
to do the good we want to do and to resist the evil that we want to resist. We are incapable in and of ourselves to make real progress. It's only this power that the Spirit gives us that helps us to begin to overcome the the flesh and to walk with him. So this is why we read phrases like this. This is not an exhaustive list, but Christians are told to things like this. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, or pray in the Spirit, or walk by the Spirit, or be led by the Spirit, or keep in step with the Spirit. Again, think about this. It's a metaphor, right? These are all metaphorical ways of, of trying to express the same truth. But again, Again, don't think about the Spirit as something, as someone who just is your personal possession any more than you can think about the wind as your personal possession or, or a stream of water like your personal possession. Think about the, the stream, this flow of, of truth and life an eternity that has come from the throne of the Messiah and has branched out into the whole world that now you have the opportunity to choose whether or not you will align yourself with that truth, align yourself with that reality, step into the stream of water, turn your sails so that your sails are filled with the wind, the breath of God. You get to choose. You get to choose. It's not, it's not like you get to, you, you're just totally passive in this, in this. You have to choose. Yes, it's God's power. Yes, it's God's strength. But it's you who choose to be filled with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. You have to make that decision to align yourself with the Spirit. Now, I just kind of want to take a, a side note for just a second. I asked Holly before I came, I said, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, do you feel like most of the time we talk about the Holy Spirit, that we tend to think in terms of the Spirit telling you what decisions to make? Do, do you agree with that? Is that what we, the way we tend to talk about the Holy Spirit? That, that's been my experience, that, that a lot of people, when they talk about being led by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit or keeping step in step with the Spirit, that we're tendi- we're, we tend to be thinking about the Spirit's going to tell me what decisions to make. That, that's not the kinds of things Paul's really talking about here. He, he kind of assumes you know what kinds of decisions you ought to make. That The Spirit of God is not a magic eight ball. Okay, the Spirit of God is not a magic eight ball. He assumes that, that you know because you've read the scriptures what's good, what's true, what's, what's virtuous, what's peaceful, what's loving. He assumes you, you're already educated and informed about those things. But what you need, what I need, what we need is power to actually do the good things that we know we ought to do. To, to resist the evil things that we know we ought not to do. Sometimes I'm afraid people talk about being led by the Spirit and what they're really talking about is being led by their own emotions and their own desires and then ascribing that to the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're talking about, okay? 
We're not talking about following our own subjective feelings and then ascribing that to the Holy Spirit. We're saying the scriptures teach us what is right and true and good, and it's the Spirit of God that when we align ourselves with him, and we'll talk more about how do we do that in a moment, but when we align ourselves with him, when we step into the stream of living water, when we allow the breath of God to move us along, empower us, that's when we can begin to make progress in this battle against the flesh. Because I don't know about you, but I'm ready to make some progress. Aren't you? I'm tired of doing the, the wrong things that I don't want to do. And I want to actually do the good things that I know I'm supposed to do. And that's the sort of thing that Paul is talking about here. And we have to make that choice even after we become Christians. Even after we're baptized, we have to constantly, continually make the decision to operate in the spirit and not by the flesh. This should be our constant prayer. This should be our our constant realization that every moment of every day, you have the choice to sow to the flesh or to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to, to keep in step with the Spirit. So if you have your Bible, look at Galatians 5. We'll spend quite a bit of time here. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, do we? And and I think think that when Paul is writing this to Christian people, he's assuming that that that's their inclination as well. You don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't want to, desire, to, to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's assuming you don't want to either because, because you want to do what is pleasing to God, but, but you still have these desires, these passions. And we recognize that in ourselves, don't we? we we've talked about the role the devil plays. We'll talk later about what the role the world plays, but, but we recognize in ourselves these desires and you've, you've seen that, haven't you? You've experienced that. I'm not the only one, am I? That, that we think, where, where did I come up with that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to be that person. And even if you don't act on that, you, you, have, you have thoughts and desires that, that are, are not good. And then sometimes, sometimes in the moment, whether it's anger, whether it's, we talked last week at length about sarcasm and being rude and unkind, or whether it's a, a sexual desire, whatever it is, Paul says the way you don't gratify those desires, the way you don't live in those desires, is you must walk by the Spirit. We lack the power, we lack the strength to control our impulses, to control our desires, but the Spirit gives us that strength that when we can live in and walk by and align ourselves with the the Holy Spirit, 
then we can begin to not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say that we, it doesn't say that we won't have any desires of the flesh, but that we can begin to not gratify those desires. Now again, pay attention to the, the people to whom Paul is writing. Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. And these churches are being influenced by people that we call Judaizers who are trying to convince Gentile Christians the way to be pleasing to God is to get circumcised. The way to be pleasing to God is to keep the law of Moses. And Paul's like, nonsense, nonsense. That's not the way to be pleasing to God. The way to be pleasing to God is to have faith in Jesus the Messiah. The way to be pleasing to God is to keep in step with the Spirit of God. That's the way to be pleasing to God. It's not law-keeping, because law-keeping and trying to be really good law-keepers, when you do it by the flesh, when you do it by your own strength and power, it doesn't result in spirituality. It doesn't result in doing what is right and good. And you've experienced that too, haven't you? You've tried to be good out of your own power and strength. We all have. We've tried to just kind of muscle our way through it. I, I'm better than this. I can do this. And at best, what we end up with, what happens if you resist temptation by your own strength and power? And you actually are successful at resisting temptation with your own strength and power. Well, then you walk away proud and self-righteous and patting yourself on the back, right? We've been there too, haven't we? This, this trying to do it by the flesh is toxic. It's toxic. Whether we're trying to be good by the flesh or we're just resigning ourselves to indulge the flesh, either way, it's corrupt and it's toxic. The only way to not gratify the desires of the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. He says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh... Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We talked about that at length. Focus on verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The, the basics of what is right and wrong, morality, didn't change from the old covenant to the new covenant. What really has changed is the coming of the Spirit of God to empower both Jews and Gentiles to begin to resist the flesh and to really make progress in denying the flesh and to produce, not by their own power and strength, not because they're really good law keepers, but because they're spirit-filled, to have this kind of fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, Again, here's one, of, here's one of my little soapboxes, and that's when we call these the fruits of the Spirit. These aren't the fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. 
These are not nine different fruits of the Spirit. This is one fruit with nine characteristics. One fruit with nine characteristics. It's like if you were describing a pineapple. A pineapple has lots of different characteristics, right? And you could describe all of those characteristics. If you just said it's yellow, there's a lot of fruit that meets that criteria. But there's only one fruit that looks quite like a pineapple. That's pretty unique. And it only, only that one has those characteristics. Only the Spirit's fruit has these characteristics. Align yourself with that. Step into the stream that is carrying you in that direction. Align your sails with that. Because when you're, when you're aligned with that, this is what your life is going to look like. This is the fruit that the Spirit is going to produce in you when you are living in step with God's Spirit. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Again, that's, that's very powerful language, isn't it? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But then there's this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit. So what are some, what are some ways, practically speaking, that we can be aligned with the Spirit. So the Spirit is doing, because I, I want God's power in my life to empower me. And again, we're not talking about tell me which shirt to wear, tell me where to go to college, tell me you know, what job to take. That, that's not the kind of thing that, that the Spirit is doing here. He's empowering us to do what is right and what is good what is filled with love and joy and peace and these other characteristics. So here are some spiritual practices. I wish we had more time. Spiritual practices to help us align ourselves with the Spirit. Some people call these spiritual disciplines. We could talk about a lot of different ones. Here's six of them. Uh, one is Scripture. And here's how, this is just my own way of wording it, but Scripture. By listening regularly to God's Word, the Spirit fills us with faith, knowledge, and an understanding of God's will and work. Again, we're not, we're not talking about subjective, just, well, how do I feel about this? We're saying, when you, when you study Scripture, when you read Scripture, the Spirit of God is working through Scripture to bring about faith, to bring about understanding, to bring about knowledge, so that we are equipped for every good work, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Secondly, prayer. By pouring out our thoughts and emotions to God in the name of Jesus, the Spirit brings us into greater intimacy with God. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Paul says, we don't even know, we don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit participates with us in prayer. You want greater intimacy with God? Do you recognize you can't do this on your own? Do you recognize you can't, you can't power your way, you can't muscle your way through obedience? then you have to rely on the Spirit, even in your prayer, to bring you into a greater intimacy with God. Uh, third, rest. The old covenant was filled with, with Sabbath laws, but Jesus explained man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. That, that God wants his people to rest. Uh, I love Psalm 127. There's a great passage on this. But through regular rhythms of being quiet, and still ceasing to work, we allow the Spirit to demonstrate God's active care for us. That's what we're doing when we rest, aren't we? We're saying, 
The world doesn't depend on me. If I stop for a moment, God's still got me. The world is going to keep going. God is still going to take care of God. God is still going to take care of his creation. God is still going to take care of me. And we're allowing the Spirit to show us that reality when we, when we stop and we rest. If Jesus took regular times to be alone and to be quiet and to spend time with God in prayer, if that was important for Jesus, it's important for us. Number four, praise Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts, the Spirit allows us to both express and experience delight in God. It's more than just expressing our delight in God. We're actually experiencing delight in God, aren't we? When we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's a reciprocal type of a a moment, isn't it? Well, we're expressing our gratitude, but we're also being filled with joy and with delight. Uh, Number uh, five, fasting. By voluntarily abstaining from food for a limited time, we surrender our bodies to the Spirit to teach us greater dependence on God. If Jesus needed to spend time fasting, if the apostles needed to spend time fasting, then that's probably true for us as well. Fellowship. We could say community or life together. Uh, Number six, fellowship. Through active participation in the life of the church, loving each other, serving each other, sharing with one another, confessing our sins to one another, the Spirit is ministering to others through us and to us through others. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, this is how the Spirit works. And see, if we, we, if we disconnect from any of these spiritual practices... If we say, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really want to be involved in the life of the church. I don't want to love and share and do all of that. Then we're, we're not only refusing to allow the Spirit to work through us to minister to others. We're also not receiving the ministry of the Spirit through other people. So let's just end by saying what Paul said again. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's not, a, it's not a set of rules. It's not, a, it's not another law. It's not, it's not a bunch of steps. It's simply saying you've, you've experienced the frustration of trying to do this by your own power. You've experienced the frustration of trying to do what's good and right and pure and virtuous and lovely. You've, you've tried to do it on your own and you can't. None of us can. We failed. And not only do we receive from Jesus forgiveness, but we receive from Jesus strength through the Spirit to begin to resist the desires of the flesh and to crucify those passions and desires. Let's pray. Father God, we are so incredibly thankful. To say we're thankful is is an understatement that you have allowed us to be filled with your Spirit, to experience the life and the peace to experience your presence, to experience your power. Father, we don't avail ourselves to your power nearly enough. We don't spend enough time in prayer. We don't spend enough time fasting. We don't spend enough time in fellowship. We don't spend enough time studying scripture. We don't spend enough time with you and relying on your spirit. And we pray that you help us to rectify that. Help us to repent of of trying to do it on our own by our own power and strength. Help us, Father, to 
rely on your spirit that you've given to us as a gift. Help us, Father, to be filled with your spirit, to walk by your spirit, to be in line with your spirit. Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness and the gift of strength. And we pray, Father, that today and every day that you'll help us to sow to the spirit so that from the spirit we will reap eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.